0: Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artefacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. In this episode... Jeremy Eccles etches out the colonial and continued denial of discrimination against Australia's Indigenous communities through Judy Watson's 2005 series A Preponderance of Aboriginal Blood. Walking through London's taped modern gallery, you can find a plain wall studded with old black-and-white documents. Made in 2005, Judy Watson's artist's book comprises 16 pages from the Queensland State Archives going back to 1886, splattered by her with red ink looking suspiciously like blood, to highlight their open discrimination when it came to voting rights based on race. Full-blood Aboriginal people were not considered capable of voting in that state until 1965, The Tate Modern has been notably reluctant to buy into contemporary Australian art, but 10 years ago, its arm was twisted by Sydney's Museum of Contemporary Art, and the two museums jointly collaborated to build a co-sponsored collection. Open until spring 2022, the Tate is showing A Year in Art, Australia 1992, a strange year that few would recognize as noteworthy in Australian history. But in 1992, the High Court handed down the monumental Mabo decision. In that case, the Indigenous Torres Strait Islander Eddie Mabo defeated the state of Queensland in asserting that his people had an ongoing pre colonial link to their land. Together with the later Wick case, the judges were going where no politician dared to go in overcoming. A persistent notion that the great southern land was Terra Nullius, when western voyagers like Captain Cook and Governor Philip blew in at the end of the 18th century. Terra Nullius, land of nobody, was the critical justification used by the Anglo-Irish invaders in 1788. It enabled them to perpetuate a myth that Australia's First Nations inhabitants whose history we now know spans 55,000 years at least was simply not there or else would be so grateful for the arrival of enlightenment civilization that they'd quietly die out or line up to assimilate to its obvious superiority but occasionally australia's colonizers had to use lethal force to gain their land of nobody And it is this violence, often denied in colonial histories, that is embodied in the bloodstains of Watson's work, for the denial persists today. Australia, then just the colony of New South Wales, was first mapped by the British naval Captain Cook in 1770. Eighteen years later, under the leadership of Governor Arthur Phillip, it was selected as a suitably distant place to house and rehabilitate British convicts. This was especially important because Britain could no longer dump convicts in the newly independent America. Naturally, the Aora nation of Aborigines around Sydney were surprised and resisted, but were crushed by both the spread of smallpox and serious military action. When free settlers arrived in the 1830s, they assumed a superiority to the now emancipated convicts and began to spread out across the vast continent. There they tamed the natives and established six independent colonies. In 1901, these came together to form a single nation, Australia, with a constitution which left Aborigines out completely. Then legislators passed a White Australia policy, not overturned until the 1970s. As Watson documents, the colonial state of Queensland passed an act to make a provision for the better protection and care of the aboriginal and half-caste inhabitants of the colony, and to make more effectual provision for restricting the sale and distribution of opium. It strictly categorized persons deemed to be aboriginals in section four as an aboriginal inhabitant of Queensland, or B, half-caste who at the commencement of this act is living with an Aboriginal as wife, husband or child, or C, a half-caste who otherwise than as wife, husband or child habitually lives or associates with Aboriginals, shall be deemed to be an Aboriginal within the meaning of this Act. Voting rights were not granted to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians in Queensland until 1965. Nationally, Indigenous Australians were only counted in the census as a result of a 1967 referendum, one of very few referenda to succeed in changing that constitution that created Australia. It achieved more than 90% positive votes. By excluding any mention of Australia's First Nations, the 1901 constitution allowed the states to take whatever action they wanted. This meant there was nothing legally wrong with the Kurt 1947 letter from Queensland's acting assistant director of Native Affairs, which denied a half-caste woman the right to vote because of her full-blood husband. It is this letter that includes the phrase, a preponderance of Aboriginal blood, which Watson borrows as the title for her harrowing work. As well as removing Aborigines from the protection of the states, the 1967 referendum was an essential psychological precursor to the emergence of an Aboriginal art movement. Starting in 1971 in the remote Indigenous desert community of Papunya, an art-making which proclaimed a complex culture resistant to assimilation subsequently spread through tribal communities across the north of Australia. It was hailed by the great Australian art critic Robert Hughes in Time magazine as the last great art movement of the 20th century. This art was based upon traditional lore and the mnemonic stories which supported it, such as the Seven Sisters songline, currently the subject of an exhibition in Plymouth. There was also some map making. Indeed, knowing where to find water or food resources in the desert was as important as knowing whom the law allowed you to marry in a small nomadic clan group. Initially, this art was considered by other Aborigines to be too revelatory of secret or sacred information, so it was quickly adapted to become more abstract. But initiates can still read the stories. This isn't the foundation of the work of an artist like Judy Watson, though based in the city of Brisbane, Judy Watson celebrates her matrilineal one-yee, line and her ancestral country with a capital C in the remote northwest Queensland near the Gulf of Carpentaria. Her great-grandmother was almost killed there in the Lawn Hill Massacre of Wanyi people, hiding under a windbreak to avoid the bullets. Watson herself could be described as quartercast, which would be an abnormally and insultingly precise designation for Australia. Australia is different to colonial states in the Caribbean, where it really mattered whether you were a mulatto, a quadroon, an octoroon, or even a quintroon. Here, Watson's identification with her one ancestry is accepted without question. So called black, urban Aboriginal artists like Watson tend to be more overtly political than their remote tribal brothers and sisters, though their work still appears side by side with Papanya Walpree or Yolnu artists in Australian institutions. This is despite an essential difference. They, unlike the tribal artists, have been trained in Western art schools. Judy Watson herself has been to three. However, she has almost uniquely eschewed the obvious, taking a more subtle aesthetic approach to her printmaking, painting, and sculptural work. One of Australia's preeminent commentators on First Nations culture. The novelist Nicholas Rothwell says it's important to distinguish Aboriginal artists as sublime as Judy Watson from the propagandists and theory mongers trailing in her wake. As Watson herself has said, if you're just making work about the context of history, you might as well write it. But for me, there is the visual layer that can be felt, which is subversive in a way reading or hearing it might not be. It is that idea of breaking through and peeling back ignorance, looking at concealed history, at what lies beneath the ground, bringing those up to the viewer. If I go somewhere, I want to know the stories of that place, have a sense of where I am within it. That way, I am more grounded in that place. Watson has recently been grounding herself in the places that were part of her parallel Anglo-Celtic heritage. She visited the UK prehistoric sites with names such as the Ring of Brodger, the Standing Stones of Stenness, and of course, Stonehenge, leading to a 2020 show at the Icon Gallery in Birmingham. In a room surrounded by her softly undulating, unframed canvases, the norm for this artist, she offered a ghostly circle of such standing stones, then overlaid them with images of indigenous Australian artefacts she'd found in British Museum collections. As a reviewer put it, there's a powerful sense of serenity often found in these mysterious prehistoric outcrops of stones. So I almost missed the violence, the images of pins, spines, hooks, and the dashes of red that go up with a yelp like a bee sting on a sunny day. This is Watson's secret weapon. She seduces us with mesmeric forms, then hits us with the heavy stuff. This heavy stuff included images of Aboriginal women's hairstring skirts, traditionally the only clothing they wore. Watson wondered how they were acquired. Did they ask the women and the young girls to drop them, then take them? Were they collected after a massacre? For added context, the original hair strings, rolled on the thighs of her ancestors, contained their DNA, stamping Watson's identity on these artworks through time. It requires great dedication for city Aboriginals like Watson to take on board this ancient culture which is why most urban artists ignore it and simply go for the contemporary political jugular. But there is an increasing appreciation in Australia's Aboriginal South of traditional ways, languages, ceremony, and the Indigenous concept called native title, the right to have a cultural relationship with country rather than just own and exploit it. But for white and increasingly Asian Australia, the problem today is the absence of anything that gives even an appearance of equal status to our First Nations. Unlike most other British colonies, there was no attempt to make a treaty with our Indigenous people, how often most of them were later broken. America, Canada and until recently New Zealand were notorious examples. Preponderance serves to introduce the formal indignities that came with being a First Nations person in Australia until so recently. For Watson, the beautiful and old-fashioned aesthetic of the archival texts belie their horrible content, designed to control Aboriginal people and deny them the civil rights extended to the rest of the population. So Watson and her art play a vital part in the recent politics that have grown with the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Uluru, the sacred rock monolith in the very centre of the continent, was where First Nations people gathered in 2017 to offer a solution to this status problem. Give us a voice to Parliament, they demanded. Go through a formal process of truth-telling and make treaties. Watson's art contributes to this wider movement in educating non-Indigenous Australia about the wisdom of her ancestors. It shows some of the unique ways they managed to survive across time and across the many geographical conditions of Australia, from deserts to rainforests, savannas to Tasmanian mountains. Her artwork won the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Award for Works on Paper in 2006, when she also took out the Clemenger Contemporary Art Prize and was one of eight Indigenous artists to have work incorporated in the new Musée du Quai Branly in Paris. In 2019, her original artist's book was expanded into a commercial publication by Graham Galleries. The global prestige of her work has the potential to play a role in overcoming entrenched conservative resistance, like that of the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who rejected the voice to Parliament out of hand in 2017. Watson also plays a part in the historical acceptance of massacres. Her luminous canvas, A Picnic with the Natives, is a brilliant blue-green historic map of her Gulf country spotted with a rash of red dots, which were all massacre sites. Its title is one of the many euphemisms for massacres, like the one her great-grandmother escaped. A picnic with the natives recognises and mourns the dead, recalling the period of violent disposition and attempted erasure of indigenous peoples and cultures. This is the history upon which the modern Australian nation was founded and remains its original sin one that must be recognised before it can come of age as a nation. Watson even attempted to establish a website, the namesofplaces.com, to accumulate a list of massacre sites. It's since been replaced by a similar project led by the University of Newcastle in New South Wales. There, historian Lyndall Ryan has so far come up with 1,089 sites based on non-Indigenous sources though more undoubtedly exist in unwritten indigenous reporting. She estimates that the massacres of settlers numbered fewer than 10. Watson's work also critiques past museum practices, such as the collecting of human remains. In 1997, she made a series of prints, Our Skin, Our Bones, Our Hair in Your Collections, which made direct links to her ancestral country. One commentator picked up the fact that her picturing of string winding across the works reminded me of Bujamala, creator of Wanyi Country, that slinking rainbow serpent whose gigantic presence also opens Alexis Wright's novel Carpentaria. In that book, the ancestral serpent came down from the stars, laden with its own creative enormity to form deep sunken valleys. The water filled its swirling tracks to form the mighty bending rivers spread across the vast plains of the Gulf country. Non-Indigenous Australia needs to find room in its mythology for Bujamala, The Rainbow Serpent should stand equally beside a brief white history that began with the convict stain, lauded its digger's heroic fight to the death at Gallipoli in the First World War, Developed in economy, riding on the sheep's back, and now iron ore, was once racist and is today proud of its embrace of multiculturalism. Empire Lines is produced by Yelena Sofranievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.